Yes, you can thank Scott for all that. That's great. I got to tell you, I, I, I kid the other pastors when they get up here because I say, you guys always say stuff about the weather. You always do. But I just like to say, welcome to Oregon. You know, I... Rob Coles and I have the privilege of being here these four weeks. Rob spoke last week, wonderful thought on story, and I'm these two weeks, and then Rob caps it off in a couple of weeks. And uh, we're looking at parables. We're looking at the way Jesus taught with story and particular ideas in the parable. I, I'm calling tonight one, one uh, day in the marketplace. In Matthew, the 20th chapter... There's this very interesting parable of laborers in the vineyard. And uh, I'll read it. It'll be on the screen. But just uh, listen to this story. All of us have worked this week pretty much, or we're going to go to work next week some kind, whether we're working around the house or we're working on a particular job or we're working at stuff. We all know what work's like. And Jesus was in an environment where... Um, Employment was a big deal. It was an important deal. It happened to be a very poor environment. But listen to this story that characterizes, in his words, the kingdom of heaven. So many of the parables were snapshots of how God thinks. So Matthew, the 20th chapter, the first 16 verses, reads like this. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius, that's a a penny, for the day, and sent them to his vineyard. Now, in that day, a denarius was a a day's wage for a common laborer. That that, that was a a given wage. It wasn't really enough to sustain a family, but it's what it was. About the third hour, so he went out at, at six and I was going out at nine. About the third hour, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever's right. So they went. He went out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. About the eleventh hour, five o'clock in the afternoon, he went out, found still others standing around. And the word is idle. They were sitting around, hanging out, chewing the fat, gossiping. They weren't like aggressively looking for work. They were just hanging out. Why have you been standing here all day doing nothing, all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers, pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about the 11th hour came and each received a denarius. They'd only worked an hour and they got a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour. They said, you made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, friend. And that word friend is only used three times in the New Testament. And it's a a sort of an unfriendly use of the word friend. It's, it's, It's what when Judas came to kiss him in the garden, he said friend. So, you know, it's it's a formal kind of anyway. I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who is hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? 
Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Now, when I said Ruth to my wife, I said, Ruth, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about the, the uh, parable of the laborers in the vineyard. You know, where the guy goes out and hires them all day and then he gives the last guy the thing. She said, yeah, that's, uh, I don't think that's fair. I said, may I tell the people that? She said, yeah, I don't think it's fair. Well, these other guys didn't think it was fair. And when I read at first blush, it doesn't seem fair. What's fair about that? I almost called this talk the fair factor. Because, you know, we... We exp- I mean, we have laws in this country, equal work for equal pay. We can't delineate. Anything. But this, this is pretty different, what he did here. It's very different, what he did here. Now, my friend Snoopy of Charlie Brown fame, he has sort of some theology of his own. I, I ran across this, uh, this cartoon that's from uh, the Gospel According to Peanuts. It'll be up here on the screen in just a minute. I'm, I could be the cartoon, but it's... It's, it's supposed to, there it is. I wonder why some of us were born dogs while others were born people. Is it just pure chance or what is it? Somehow the whole thing doesn't seem very fair. Why should I have been the lucky one? I love that. <laughs> it's got nothing to do with the Bible, but I just thought I'd put that up there. I love simplicity. I like taking things that are challenging and complex and trying to make them simple. But it's very difficult to make the kingdom of heaven simple. See, Jesus is saying, what, what I'm telling you, this parable is a picture of the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like this. And then he tells this story. Dorothy Sayers, who is a favorite of mine, she's a British mystery writer who has now gone on, said this, and I won't read you all of it, but she said, the kingdom of heaven, said the Lord Christ, is among you. But what precisely is the kingdom of heaven? You cannot point to existing specimens saying low here or low there. You can only experience it. But what is it like so that when we experience it, we may recognize it? Well, it's a change, like being born again or relearning everything from the start. It's secret, living power like yeast. It's something that grows like seed. It's precious like buried treasure, like rich pearl, and you have to pay for it. Now, all of these are images that come out of these parables. It's a sharp cleavage through the rich jumble of things which life presents, like fish and rubbish in a draw net, like wheat and tares. It's new, yet in a sense was always there, like opening a cupboard and finding there your own childhood as well as your present self. It makes demands, like an invitation to a royal banquet. Where it's equal, it seems unjust. Where it's just, it's clearly not equal. It was from the foundations of the world. It is to come. It is here now. It is within you. It is recorded that the multitude sometimes fail to understand. Well, I guess. What are all those? I mean, what is it about this? This story has been interpreted lots of different ways over the years. Many times people have said this illustrates that the last person to come into the kingdom still is equal to the first person who came. Or it's, it's equal in, in that way. And there are lots of other kind of um, ways of interpreting it. But the core of this parable is like a group of other parables. And the essential truth here is that God is good. God's good. 
You say, well, that's it. We can go home now. No, no, I still have a few minutes. I want to just elaborate a little bit more. The point of the story, if you're taking notes, the point of the story is simply that God is good. Why would Jesus have to keep making that point? Well, he's talking to people who are in a religious society. It's a very religious society in his day. day, And the the religious leaders don't express the character of God. In Matthew 23, and this won't be on the screen, but in Matthew 23, this is how Jesus deals with those leaders who ostensibly are representing his father. This is what he says to them. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must obey them and do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. To move them. Now, some of us who may think that it's baby Jesus meek and mild, listen to these words in verse 13 of Matthew 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. I'm saying, whoa. These people live in a context where they're getting bad information. They live in a context where what's being modeled for them by the religious types doesn't come close to the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus is saying, let me tell you what the kingdom of heaven is like. And it's like a landowner who is good. And um, my question is, how does this little story show that God is good? Well, he goes out and he hires people. That's a good start. He just doesn't hire one set. He goes out five times and hires people all through the day. This is the wine pressing season. When you're, when you're a vintner, I understand, that, at least I read this, that there's a time when you need to pick the grapes and press them, and it's, and it's a critical time period, and you need to have all hands on deck in order to do it, so it keeps going back out into the field. So the people understand that part. They understand that it's a good thing to get hired. They understand that it's a good thing to be chosen. I'd like to submit to you that to be chosen is a big deal. To be chosen is a big deal. God is good. He's a chooser. I went to Frick Junior High School in East Oakland, California in the mid-1950s. And um, it wasn't exactly a piece of cake in Oakland then. It's really not a piece of cake now, but... They used to have fights all the time, and I don't know if it was testosterone when you're 14 or what it is, but when, when guys wanted to face off, they'd, they'd say this line. If they wanted to fight somebody, they'd say, I choose you. And if somebody was chosen in that context, that wasn't good because you had to put up your and go for it. And I, I, So when people say, I choose you, I'd say, great, I'm on your side. You know, that's how we want to do it. I'm just a chicken heart, that's all. But when God chooses you, there's a goodness in it. There's a goodness in choosing another person. Let me me ask you this question. What does it feel like? Don't answer out loud. What does it feel like to be chosen? If you're taking notes, just why don't you write on your page, just a word. What does it feel like to be chosen? 
Those of you who aren't, just think with me. I asked some of our friends here earlier in the week, what does it feel like to be chosen? Someone said, affirmed, feel safe, honored, valued. You have a place to be. Point two on your notes is this. To be chosen is to be valued. To be chosen is to be valued. And to be chosen gives us a place. Listen to the biblical language that John, the writer of the Gospel of John, uses in John 15, 16. This is Jesus speaking. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. He's talking to his disciples. Fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Or later the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Thessalonica. That's up in northern Greece. He's writing to some of his friends up there in 1 Thessalonians 4. First chapter, fourth and fifth verses, and he says, For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You know, dear beloved brothers and sisters, he has chosen you. That's great. I love that part of the story. I love to be chosen. Come on, let's go work together. You know, I love that part. But that's not where the problem in this story comes for most of us. The, the conflict here is about payment. What about remuneration? How about moolah? How about bucks or denaro? What, you know, in this case, denarius. What's that about? It doesn't seem fair at first blush. But the owner and the first workers... Had an agreement. I love how they kind of tell the story because he says, pay the ones that we hired last, pay them first. So the guys who were there all day are standing in line waiting and they see the last guys get the penny. Had they paid them in order of employment, they would never have seen that. But, but then that wouldn't have made the point of the story. The point of the story is that there was some jealousy or frustration or anger there. How many times have I said, you know, life isn't fair. You don't find that word fair in the Bible, at least not the way we use it. You find the word just or right in the Bible. I have a friend who was raised in West Africa. Her name's Virginia. She said, if you're looking for fair, you're on the wrong planet. I mean, any of us who have been kids on a family vacation know that life's not fair. We had these four kids. We'd pile them back in the day when we had station wagons instead of vans. We'd pile them in the station wagon and head from Illinois to California. And we didn't have the seatbelt thing. We didn't have the car seat thing. We didn't have any of the restrictions. So you're a parent and you're spending half of your time going, you know, trying. how many have done that? How many of you, you know that you threw your shoulder out, right? You got rotator cuff? Yeah, I got kids. You know, that's just. <laughs> Ruth and I decided we were going to build the perfect car. We were going to have it efficiently fueled, sleekly designed. It would have self-cleaning windows on the inside. It would have a loop tape. And, and, and today it would be a CD that would just keep playing. Sit back and stay on your side of the line. 
We will be there when we get there. If you do that again, we're stopping the car. It just isn't fair, like when you're in the back seat and a kid. If anyone is fair, it has to be God. If there's anyone who is just and right, it has to be God. Point three is that the kingdoms, kingdom decisions often differ from my perceptions. Because the kingdom of heaven is a larger perspective. Let me come back to parents and kids. Kids say it's not fair, but the parents have a different idea. They have a larger perspective. They have a larger understanding. Some of you grew up in a family when, where there were several kids, and the parents couldn't sort it out who was wrong, and so you'd all get a spanking. you just, you know, stand in line. Some of you had to stand outside the door waiting for that, you know. This is this not exactly Bible, but this is true what I'm telling you. <laughs> Parents have a larger view, and God has a larger view. And when I understand that, when I'm willing to accept that, what seems not to be fair oftentimes turns on that understanding. Because the third point is God is just, or the fourth point is God is just And he is generous. He is fair and he's generous. When you read this book, when you read the Gospels, every story, every theme, every anecdote, virtually every incident, every conversation, every miracle, every healing points to the fact that God is good and he's good because he chooses well, he chooses to speak and help the unfortunate. He chooses the poor and the brokenhearted. He binds up the wounded. We already sang about it tonight. And he does it in a fair way. And he does it in a generous way. I mean, that verse that you see, and, and if you don't go to church or weren't raised with the Bible, you can't understand when you watch an NFL game, what's that John 3.16 thing there in the end zone? What is that about? It's about this. A God who is good and just and fair and generous. For it reads like this. For God so loved the world. He loved us in such a way that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believed in him would not perish but have eternal life. He is good. He chooses us. He provides fairly for us. He provides generously for us. Goodness and fairness and generosity all come together in Jesus. When we bring value by choosing, when we bring value by choosing to walk with someone and being generous and being fair, we look like Jesus. We look like Jesus. And his comment to the guy who's griping is, are you begrudging me my generosity? See, the deal with this is that in the kingdom of heaven, God makes the rules. They're not the kind of rules that I would make. Because he's way more compassionate than I am. He's way more merciful than I am. He's way more insightful than I am. That's just how it is. Let me close with this story. This is a story about my friend Ben Clements. Van Clements, our oldest Uh, married our oldest daughter, Erica. 
when I spoke a few months ago, Van came up here and played a song. He pastors in Eugene, Oregon. But Van is one of five brothers. He is the fourth out of five. The youngest is Benjamin Todd Clements. He was the baby. That's Ben. Ben was born with Down syndrome. Seems unfair. And the doctor, the medical people, said you need to put him in a home. And the parents had a choice to make. And they said, we'll do that. We'll put him in ours. We're keeping him. He's going to be ours at our home. We choose you, Benjamin Todd Clements. Ben grew. He brought joy to their lives in a lot of ways. He was a lot of work. You know, he had, did we already see, there he is. A lot of baths. He couldn't speak quite clearly. He lived with them for 32 and a half years in Greenfield, California, in the central Salinas Valley, until two weeks ago. Sunday morning, two weeks ago, his parents are pastors in a little church, and he was tending the sound booth, and he told a co-worker that his chest felt heavy and passed out. His dad ran over. They got him out of the sound booth and revived him momentarily, and he saw his dad, and he grinned at him, and he hugged him. He saw his mom and he hugged her and then had a seizure. And they raced him to the hospital, worked on him all they could. But within the next few moments, he went home to Jesus. A week ago Thursday, I went to Ben's memorial. And uh, I want to see Ben's picture as a, as a big guy here. At Ben's memorial, his four brothers talked. And they told stories. I told somebody it's like one of my top five memorial services of my life. We laughed. We sobbed. We got just the stuff you need to do at a memorial. That's what we did. His four brothers said Ben couldn't talk very well, but, but when he prayed, there was something powerful. He couldn't say Father God. He would just say Father God. And so they said we'd gather in a circle and we'd say, Ben, why don't you pray? And he'd say, Father God. And when he said, Father God, the Spirit of the Lord showed up in that room in a powerful way. He was a worshiper. He had dozens of CDs. He'd go to his room and he'd play those CDs and he couldn't sing on key, but it didn't make any difference because he worshiped Jesus. He was intuitive about people. They would ask him, Ben, what do you think about old John over there? And he'd look at him and say, wishy-washy, wishy-washy. <laughs> or once in a while they'd say, what do you think about Fred over there? He'd say, man of God, man of God. He said, whenever there was a young, beautiful girl, and you'd say, Ben, what do you think about her? He would say, woman of God, woman of God. <laughs> The Sunday he passed away, he had made a name tag for himself. He sat in the sound booth. It was on a lanyard, and the name tag said, Benjamin Todd Clements, leader. He was right. They buried him with that name tag. 
and they buried him with CHP, California Highway Patrol, reflective, reflective sunglasses. He loved the chips guys. They looked so cool with their helmets. and their, So here he was with his name tag and the reflective mirrored glasses on. And we sang and we cried and we laughed and we rejoiced because somebody chose. Because God chose Ben as his own. Because Josh and Evelyn chose Ben at his own, as their own. And Ben, when he closed the service, he said, Mom and Dad, I just want you to know that for 32 years, you did a good job. Good job. And the whole congregation, three or four hundred, came to their feet in a standing ovation for three minutes. I mean, just, it was this moment. And the boys said at the cemetery, you guys go on back. We just want to stay here. And the four brothers worked with the cemetery workers, and they shoveled dirt into Ben's grave. Oh, they knew Ben was long gone. But they loved that old broken body, too. And they shoveled dirt in and jumped down and tamped it down and put the grass back on. Their phrase was, we just wanted to tuck him in right. Sometimes what seems unfair is value added. People from all over that community came to Ben's service. Value added. Imagine it. Wonder over it in this moment. God, the good and fair and generous one, has chosen you. He chose you. He chose me. Can you imagine? What a, what a deal. And he says, I have plans for you. If I can use a Ben, and he did, I can use you. You just respond to me the way Ben did. You love me back. You worship me. When we do that, we understand better what it's like to be a laborer in the vineyard. Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me tonight? Just in this quiet moment, there may be someone here tonight who says, Dick, I I just, uh, there's a situation that I've been in, I've been struggling with that just seems mightily unfair to me just seems unfair and it's just worn me down to the nubs but I need I need to just see it from the kingdom of heaven perspective it might actually it probably is injustice in some way but I need to get past it I need to use it as a springboard and not as a prison cell and I just need to let it go and in this quiet moment you just slip your hand up as I prepare to pray and say, would you just include me in your closing prayer? You'll just, yes, I see you. Yes, 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 yes. Just lift it up and put it down. I see you. I see you. There may be some here tonight who say, I don't know this generous and good and fair God. I know some Sunday school God that somebody told me about or some limited, but I've never heard about this one, but I'd like to follow him. I'd like to open my heart to him tonight. 
And I'd just like to start now, and you'll slip your hand up and say, include me in your prayer. Include me in your prayer. Lord Jesus, you know our hearts. You know us better than we know ourselves. We just, we just offer these situations up to you tonight. And I ask that you wrap your arms around these friends who have raised their hand and hold them with a grip like all eternity. Let the pain just seep out of them, even as I pray, even as they walk from this place. May they walk with a lightness in their step that becomes, comes because you have taken their burden. Help them, Lord Jesus, to have a baptism of clear seeing about the kingdom of heaven of which they're a part. And know that you are eminently fair, even when circumstances and people aren't. So, Lord, in this moment, do something by your Spirit that I couldn't do if I talked for another day. We just trust you with it. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for that. And everyone said, Amen. We're coming. We're going to be down here at the front. Some of you who raised your hands may want to come down and just take a moment and let one of us just take your hand and pray with you. There are others who have other needs. Just take the time to come. You can always go home and have pot roast or whatever it is you're going to do. But just take the time if you need to, if you sense in your spirit that you just need to come for a, for a time. Please do that. And now may the grace of God that lavishes us every day. And the power of God that is present with us by his Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore as you go. Amen. Go in his grace.